Hi there, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's. It's Tuesday. We hope you're having a great week. We are three handmade dolls with nothing better to do. I'm Austin Terry, and I'm joined by my best pals, Matt Johnson and Keith Baker. Matt, how's it going? Been a long weekend trying to get the show binged so we could record this episode, but uh, we made it happen. So other than that, just been a relaxing weekend, not too much going on, and ready to have a chat. Keith, what about you? How are you doing today? I am perfectly splendid. All right. Well, today we are kicking off spooky season with The Haunting of Bly Manor, the spiritual follow-up to 2018's The Haunting of Hill House. This anthology series has quickly become one of my favorite Netflix originals, and as every successful first season knows, the second season is one of the hardest to do. Let's find out if Bly Manor lives up to the hype. Matt, give us some thoughts so we can get right into it. Yeah, it's a big old not really from yours truly. <laughs> yeah, look, it's a tough follow-up. Season uh, season one, I guess I shouldn't even say season one because, you know, there is no season two necessarily of The Haunting of Hill House. It's just this is an anthology series. But I, I think The Haunting of Hill House is probably the best Netflix original series. I kind of honestly by a long shot for me. I thought it was just so perfect. The characters are so well-developed. I loved the storytelling, how they told it, how they incorporated flashbacks, but how they kept moving the story forward. And um, Bly Manor is weird because it's kind of blatant that they just try to do the same thing again in terms of the storytelling and how they introduce characters and flashbacks and stuff like that. Um, and we'll break break it down why as we go on, but I just didn't really care about these characters, unfortunately. And I think with both Hill House and Bly Manor, if you don't care about the characters, I don't really know if the show's going to work for you. So that was kind of the big thing. I just really never bought into these characters. And then once they started doing flashbacks to other characters and we didn't get to, you know, kind of keep up with the previous characters, it felt like whenever we did come back to them, I was like, oh yeah, I forgot what they were even doing. So it was just a bit of a jumbled mess for me. Overall, though, I do think in terms of horror, it's just... If you're going to watch this show, this is not Hill House in terms of scares and horror. It's more of just like a gothic romance, which is fine. I mean, I'm always down for that. I think this is a good show. But in terms of a follow-up to Hill House, I was just a bit disappointed, I guess, because knowing that it's part of that world in terms of an, like an anthology. I know it's not a direct follow-up, but you guys know what I mean. So there's a lot that I liked, but overall, just a bit disappointed, I think. Keith, why don't you share some of your non-spoiler thoughts as well, and then I'll share mine, and we'll get to the bulk of the episode. Yeah, I'm kind of in agreement with Matthew. This this show was a little bit of a letdown as a spiritual sequel to Hill House. I mean, Hill House definitely knocked it out of the park. It was creepy. It had its scary moments. The characters were developed well. Uh, the show, also the characters were pretty cool, and the acting was phenomenal in the show. And I think I agree with you, Matt. It's a good show. But if you're going to market it as being like a scary, creepy little miniseries, it did not live up to that at all. I found the, I guess, the build up to the climax to be very slow and kind mm -hmm. of boring. Yeah. And um, and then kind of just underwhelming at the end. Um, yeah, that's all I'll say for now. And we get into it later. Yeah, I think I'm pretty much in agreement with pretty much everything you guys have said. I will say I did really, really enjoy this season. I think if you're coming into the show expecting like a horror show that you're going to be scared all the time, you're not going to get that here. I think there are definitely some tense moments that'll make your hair stand up a little bit. But overall, it's not a very scary second season. Um, I think it's incredibly well acted. I think everyone here gives good performances. The story does get a little jumbled. But overall, I found myself really enjoying it and still having a good time with this season. Um, so I think if you're just looking for a good story and you need something to watch, I would definitely recommend checking this one out. But if you're looking to be scared for the entirety of the season, you're not going to get that here. All right, everybody, those are our non-spoiler thoughts. This is officially your spoiler warning from here on out. We are not going to care about spoiling anything. So if you haven't watched the new season of The Haunting of Bly Manor, go watch it and then come back to listen to this episode. Okay, well, let's get into our cast. We don't, we're not really going to spend too much time on the production this week, just because we have so much to get to. Um, but let's go ahead and run through our cast here. We have Amelia Bay Smith as Flora, Benjamin Ainsworth as Miles, Victoria Pedretti as Danny Clayton, Tania Miller as Hannah Gross, Rahul Kali as Owen, Amelia Eve as Jamie, Oliver Cohen as Peter, 
and Taria Sharif as Rebecca Jezel. So what do you guys think on the casts and their individual performances here? I thought the performance is pretty good. I, I think they there was there could have been more, like I said earlier, there could have been more to do with their characters, I guess. Yeah. But um but the acting was good, uh distinguished and um kinda had their own thing going on. So Yeah, I, I agree with Keith. I think breaking down the acting versus how that character is used and what their purpose is are two, unfortunately, very different things with this show or with this season of TV. Um, Because I think a lot of these characters are just duds in terms of where they end up. And it kind of feels like they shouldn't have been there in the first place. But the performances are great. Um, I also think it should be noted at this point. I kind of think there's a difference between a performance and um, like you can appreciate a performance, but not all aspects of it. I don't know what Mike Flanagan and team was thinking when they had a bunch of Americans do these weird British accents. <laughs> I was laughing through some scenes. Henry Thomas from E.T. and Hill House is great. He's a great actor. And his performance here is great. The one thing about it that's just like <laughs> is this pish posh accent that's a bit silly. Oliver Cohen, who is English in real life, they made Scottish for some reason. <laughs> I, I just found some scenes I was... And not even, again, I think the performances are great and the way they deliver lines is really exceptional. It's just the only downside. And unfortunately, because so many actors are playing outside of their accent, it was a bit silly. Um, so that was the one thing I wanted to mention just as a downside. But I, overall, I agree with the key, the acting itself and just the performances were, were solid like across the board, I feel like. Yeah, I think we also need to give a, a big shout out to uh, Amelia and Benjamin, who play Flora and Miles, because it's really hard to find good child actors, especially somebody that's going to carry an entire nine episodes of a show. But I, th- I think both of these kids here are phenomenal, and I yeah. think they really do carry the show, and I think their performances are great. They're creepy when they need to be. Uh, Miles, who like is dealing with a possession and kind of alter eagle an alter ego whenever he needs to switch to like being dark and creepy he does it on a dime and i think the kids here do a great job but they were so i agree i don't know did you guys read turn of the screw in high school which this is based on okay because i read it and um it's kind of a weird book it's really good it's only a hundred pages written like the late 1800s and um it's just funny that you have characters named hannah gross peter quint uh rebecca jessel and then Owen. It's so clear Owen was the one that they made up for the show. <laughs> like, and kind of unfortunately, it's also painfully obvious when you see where that character starts and ends that he, he's the odd one out in terms of where he fits into this. And it's because they made him up for the show. So, um, but the, again, if we're talking about the performance, I thought Rahul was great. So just another fun little thing to mention. All righty. Let's go ahead and get right into the show. And let's start at the beginning. Uh, We are very quickly introduced to Danny Clayton, who's interviewing to be an au pair. Well, hold on, Austin. You're forgetting the most important thing. We're introduced to Carla Gugino, also an American, doing a weird English, sometimes Scottish, maybe sometimes an Irish accent. And she's the narrator, so that led to a lot of laughs when she tries to, I don't know, force her way through the dialogue. But all that aside, the most important thing is, did you guys catch who played, I guess, only in the first and last episode. Did you guys catch who plays the um, the groom that the story's being told to? Did you guys catch who that actor was? No. I did not. It was Greg Sestero, a.k.a. Oh, hi, Mark, from The Room. Oh, really? Yeah. Shit. Oh, He must wow. be friends with the director, because even though he only said a few lines, they were all terrible. <laughs> he was like, <laughs> good night, honey. I love you. See you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> it was all bad, but it was it was fun to see him. Marky Mark is making a comeback, isn't he? Also doing a like a show now with Tommy Wiseau as well, like a sitcom. Isn't um, that in the works? I don't know. Maybe. I, I guess we should hope. But anyway, besides <laughs> that, Austin, take us further in to Blimey. Yes, yes. So we do we do have a couple on their wedding night being told a ghost story, which will then lead in to the bulk of the show. Um, we are very quickly introduced to Danny Clayton, who gets hired to be an, an au pair at Bly Manor and kind of be a live-in nanny to Miles and Flora. Uh, we learned that there's kind of been some past tragedies in these kids' lives. Uh, their parents are dead, and their previous nanny was also killed last year, and one of the kids found the body. Um, and then we very quickly get in to her job at Bly Manor, and we meet the rest of the crew, which is Hannah, Owen, and Jamie, who are the groundskeeper, the cook, and the gardener, respectively. She was the only American there, right? Yeah, she was an American abroad, going to be a live 
like live in Danny essentially and also teach them. The big twist with Danny's character is she is on the run from something and she has her own kind of ghost haunting her as well, which I thought was kind of going to be a cool dynamic because she is bringing in her own ghost to this haunted grounds, but then ultimately nothing really comes of it either. That's the weird thing, man. I feel like there's a lot of examples in the show. I mean, technically something does come of it, but it's just not really satisfying. It feels like the show is just trying to get through it. For me, I don't know about you guys, but it confused the shit of me in the beginning because you know, I was thinking it was all going to be all about the the mansion, which it was. But this ca- this happened before the mansion. Her seeing her old boyfriend's ghost in the mirror. So I was like, oh, so is she haunted too? That's what I thought. The interesting dynamic was going to be was she she is bringing in her own haunting to this already haunted ground. So I thought yeah. there might be some like clashes between the different spirits that are possessing all these different people, and that really ended up not going anywhere. And and I I do think this does start off very effectively from a horror moment because. Um, also sure. on Danny's first day, Flora says, Hey, you cannot leave your room at night. Like, don't ever do that. And then, um, we, Flora also has this dollhouse, which reveals kind of where all the ghosts are in the house when you look at it. And then also they do the same thing here that they did in, in Haunting of Hill House, where there are little ghosts kind of hidden in every scene. And if you look closely, yeah. you can kind of see them all in the background. And it, it does put you on, on edge as a viewer kind of right from the beginning. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was an effective opening. I wasn't expecting any scares early on because, you know, they're going to try and set it up and all that good stuff. Um, so, yeah, I think for the first few episodes, I was certainly bought in, excited about the buildup. I was curious to learn more about these characters. Um, but, yeah, it just it didn't go really any place I was super interested in. But, you know, there's some positives that we'll get to for sure. I think it kind of stays interesting for this beginning phase for sure. Okay, so kind of the first big moment that we have – uh, of the kids kind of really being creepy is like we mentioned Flora does have all these kind of dolls and townsmen laying around the house and there is this one very specific faceless doll that uh, Flora is very keyed in on and it stays under her cupboard at night but one night the doll is moved moved out into the open of Flora's bedroom and Danny steps on it and then immediately the kids freak out and lock Danny in a closet which also has a mirror in it so she's locked in the closet having a panic attack with her bespectacled demon yeah this was a good moment i felt i I was this kind of got me excited for the rest of the show this is the big moment i was waiting for to see where things might go obviously there was something up with the kids from the jump and it was just interesting to see how it played out this way and i yeah i like how you mentioned that it was just a fun coincidence not in the bad way that she ends up trapped in a room with a mirror so it's like she's trapped with her own demon at the same time so extremely effective i thought this scene was great and what did you guys think of the dolls dynamic in the show didn't because care. typically really i thought it was really <laughs> cool the way they used them why did why didn't you care because i guess i felt like they didn't really use them like once it got to the end and they start introducing the extremely confusing dream hopping but also you can possess people and that's a different it felt like the whole doll thing i was like i'm a bit lost on why this was introduced or what this even means i know the ghost kid is moving them around but i just don't see what the point of that was so i guess i was maybe just confused i guess the way i kind of liked it is um typically like in any other horror show like the dolls themselves would be possessed and maybe they'd be like voodoo dolls or something that like Flora is confusing. Mm-hmm. But really, Flora's mom at one point in the show says, hey, dolls protect people. And that's the way Flora uses them. Um, and that's yeah. kind of the way they stay throughout the show. So I just think it's kind of an interesting dynamic to not go that route in the horror show. And I kind of like how later on it is revealed that when this little ghost boy does play with the dolls, he's letting Flora know where the Lady of the Lake is. And so it kind of serves as a warning signal. And really, Flora and Miles are honest, like genuinely trying to protect everybody in this house when they themselves aren't possessed. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That that was like the... In that was, I mean, that was the resolution, was the boy you know, being a warning. So it was interesting. I guess I, I just felt like more was going to come of it. But yeah, no, I think you're right. It did, I think they it did kind of well get enough. lost, though. I, I agree with both you guys, but the, it did kind of get lost in the story where I completely forgot about them towards the end. It's like, oh, yeah, the dolls. I guess that was kind of creepy, but you don't really – they really didn't have that big of a, a part in the scariness of the film or the series. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do agree with that, Keith. I do think they kind of get away from it. I think it would have been more interesting to have – I think I honestly think we just need more scenes from the Lady of the Lake in this show, like actually haunting people. Like I think it would have been – more interesting to have like Flora watching the dollhouse at night, realizing the lady of the lake is out and then trying to like protect everybody. Cause we only get like really two scenes of that in this show. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So then kind of the last big event is after uh, Danny is let out of the closet, we see some muddy footprints throughout the manor, which will be then become a theme throughout the rest of the show. And Danny thinks the kids are uh, 
like traipsing mud through the house as well. Yeah, this was kind of like the end of the episode, I suppose, where she basically follows them, runs outside, and then just, you know, creepily turns around and sees the kids watching her from <laughs> their respective bedrooms. But yeah, I, I was certainly curious. I kind of assumed it had to do with the ghost, but I didn't know for sure. I guess I guess for me, it was a bit more of an interesting watch this time around because I know The Haunting of Hill House is a really seminal piece of horror fiction from like the early 1900s, but I'd never read it. So watching the actual show, I know they took some elements of it, but it was mostly just its this original creation. Whereas I had read Turn of the Screw. So I knew like basically going in, I knew a lot of which characters would be dead, which were ghosts. I knew some basic backstories and they did take a lot more from the source material this time around. Um, there are some weird things like dream hopping and possession to the level that it is used that wasn't there. So, um, yeah, it was interesting. I, I kind of felt like I had a bit of a grasp on things, at least early on, because of that. Like, I, Because I had read it, but as things go on, I, I got a bit lost. <laughs> um, so also in kind of this beginning few episodes, we do learn about Miles' expulsion, expulsion from boarding school. Um, basically, he received a letter from Flora saying, come home. And then Miles um, had some escalating series of behaviors that led to his expulsion. He uh, jumped out of a tree on purpose. He beat his friend up for no reason. And then he also killed his teacher's bird. Yeah, I thought this was interesting that he basically just forced them, these really strict people, they forced them to kick him out just so he could manufacture a way to get back home and to his sister. I thought that was an interesting way to go about it. It kind of was a cool flip because Miles seems so creepy and like he must be this evil spirit in the beginning. But then pretty soon into the show, they humanize him and it's like, okay, I mean, he is doing weird messed up stuff but at least it's for a good reason i guess so it it was an interesting way to kind of give him a backstory that i felt was effective his methods were a little weird though that's what i that's what i mean i feel like there was like it's like dude he's also not possessed at this point i know which is it makes it all the more weird later when he we're supposed to believe at the end that he's just this good kid but he was just he was possessed but he wasn't (laughs) you could have got expelled just by beating the shit out of somebody but instead you kill a bird and then put it on your on your father's uh podium yeah <laughs> well i think i think also miles is getting more and more frustrated too because he does beat the shit out of somebody and then yeah, his true. teacher still refuses to expel him so he's like what do i have to do man <laughs> just yeah, kick me out kill a, kills, <laughs> like creepily kill a bird <laughs> yeah i guess you can also chalk it up to obviously he's experiencing frustration and anger and sadness from his parents deaths which we'll get to as well but yes i agree with kate the, the methods are a bit extreme <laughs> Okay, and so lastly, we are also introduced to Peter Quinn and Rebecca Jessel. Peter Quint, Rebecca Jessel, Bex. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a sucker for these accents. I love it. Throughout a series of flashbacks, we learn that Rebecca was the previous au pair mm-hmm. who uh, fell in love with Peter Quint, who was the uncle's kind of assistant and not a very great guy. This, along with. Uh, Kind of the boarding school bit is kind of where we get into the bulk of the flashbacks, which will become a continuing trend for yeah. this series. And it, it was it was weirdly done. Um, I appreciated that it was different, I guess. But here, just for kind of context for people, um, there's an episode. Episode three of the series is called The Two Faces Part One. And this is mostly the Rebecca and Peter background. And then four episodes later, episode seven is The Two Faces Part Two. And these episodes are basically just mostly flashbacks of these people. I just felt they were kind of weirdly placed in the season and like so many episodes apart. Um, but yeah, I agree with Keith. I think episode seven we'll get to because that one was kind of just like this mind fuckery for like an hour. But episode three, I was on board for most of it. I liked that we also have to keep, we have to keep in mind that at this point we've seen Peter Quinn like roaming around the grounds. And again, this is one of those things where I don't know. Did you guys realize he was a ghost or dead before it was revealed? Did you assume that or what? Yeah. The first time you see him, I just assumed he was a ghost, but I thought only for a while, I thought only Danny was going to be able to see the ghost in the show. And then yeah. the rest of the staff was going to be increasingly starting to think she was crazy. Yeah. That's what I, that's kind of where I thought we yeah. were headed. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, That's true. Um, but yeah, they do do something pretty cool. I like how they build them up basically just by being these figures that roam around occasionally. And then like, boom, three episodes in, it's like mostly a flashback. We actually get some real backstory, understand their relationship, kind of get a grasp on who particularly Peter Quint is as a character, which becomes important later. Rebecca Jessel, a little bit lesser. Um, 
But I think we need to understand Quint because he basically is one of the main villains of the show because I guess you could consider he and Miles become one of the main villains whenever he possesses him and he's so angry and done with being a ghost <laughs> that he's trying to get a permanent <laughs> body. So kind of in that process, he becomes a main villain. So they're trying to tell us about where he came from. And then in episode seven, they try and humanize him a little bit. So yeah, I, I thought for the most part, at least this intro worked. Yeah, and I do like the flashbacks, and I like that this show is kind of willing to take its time with its characters and, and do its best to help you understand them as well as you can. However, I think the irritating thing for me with the flashbacks is like, it feels like every time Rida's things are starting to get scary, we cut away to a flashback. And so you have like an hour to come down from starting to be scared. And then after the flashback, we're back into the scary scenes, but it just makes the scary scenes feel less scary because we've been away from it for so long. Yeah, I agree. And it's like, whenever we do come back around to it an hour later, it's like, oh yeah, I'm back with Danny now. What was she What was she doing last? I'm trying to remember. Yeah. I can't really remember. It, it gets a bit lost. And it's funny because, again, not to compare it too much, but think about Hill House. Literally, Hill House, episode one through five, each of those episodes was a mostly, I guess not even flashback, it's just an introduction to each of the Crane siblings. That's how each of those first episodes went. So I guess you could make the argument that they did the same thing. It's like, we're introduced to the eldest brother in the first episode, and then he's mostly absent for the next four. He does come in yeah. and out, but I thought it was just handled so much better. And like, even though that first episode was about the eldest brother, we are introduced to each sibling. So then it's like, oh, that was cool. I like those scenes. So then the following episodes, I'm actually really interested to find out about the next sibling and how the story – but the story does move forward through all five episodes a little bit, enough. Whereas here, I felt like whenever we, in episode three, jump back to Peter Quint and Rebecca Jessel's intro, I felt like it was just the main plot was on a standstill. I felt like, like an hour-long flashback, but we weren't moving the story forward. And that was kind of my ultimate problem with it. That was – for me too, I felt like it was just way too many – different dream sequences. I was like, geez, how many of these are going to they're going to Yeah, get and on top of that, as the show goes on, they revisit the same ones over and over again to yeah. the point where I was like, oh my god, again? Especially the uh the Owen, well, I don't want to skip too far too far, but I was yeah. going to say the Owen and the um Hannah Gross yeah. ones. Like they yeah. went back to that one like 30 times. <laughs> you like, just really finished it up already. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. And also Matt, just staying on your point with the Haunting of Hill House, um ultimately the family in the Haunting of Hill House had more of a scary background than any of these characters do um so ultimately it makes it makes the hunting of hill house a more scary show just because that family has so much more trauma and just things that they've been through whereas these characters really until they get to bly don't have that much of a of a background that is really that terrifying um so it, it does kind of take away from the scary elements of the show and series yeah, and Hill House, I think, just handled – it's like they gave us so many flashbacks, but they left the biggest one until the very end, like the last episode. And the biggest one was, what the hell happened at Hill House? We never knew that until the last episode. So it's like we were always – there was always stuff we were interested to find out. There was always a huge mystery element. And Blind Manor does have mystery elements. It's just they're kind of introduced at weird times. And then there's some like Hannah Gross's death where I was like, why did they show us this? And then weirdly reveal it as like a surprise three episodes later. I was like – I know she's dead. You showed us that. So it's just one of those, I just don't think they handled the flashback super well or the mystery. And like Keith mentioned earlier, because of that, I think mishandling and kind of ordering things in the wrong way. By the time we get to the last episode and they start to wrap things up in like 10 minutes, it's like, oh, this is so fast. And I just don't really care anymore about most of these characters. So, Well, let's keep moving here. Um, we are eventually, we do eventually take another flashback to Danny's past and we learn more about kind of where she's come from and, and why she is being haunted by this ghost. Um, and kind of like we already touched on, she was supposed to marry a man named Edmund. However, uh, Danny is actually interested in women and ultimately can't go through with the marriage. And so she backs out, uh, which leads to a very tense argument and Edmund angrily strips, steps out of their car and gets run over by a truck. First of all, Edmund sucked. I hated this guy. Even if like she wasn't interested in women, you got to dump this guy. <laughs> but, um, yeah, even, even if you're straight, you don't need to marry Edmund. He's yeah, a loser. Exactly. <laughs> um, I did. The one thing I did love about this backstory was um, the fight and what it led to. I liked learning more about Danny specifically 
and how her interests and her sexuality led to this character's death. So she feels guilt on two different levels, both the part she played in his death and also the fact that if she had told him earlier, maybe this wouldn't have happened. But dude, I love, 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 love the choreography and how they framed it of him stepping out of the car, him turning around and you just get that quick glimpse of his light, his, uh, his glasses yeah. just fill up with the headlight. So it's like, okay, that's the last thing she saw. That's the ghost. And then he dies. And I was like, okay, that was really cool. I like that aspect. Um, I liked it too. Just ultimately, I was kind of disappointed that it doesn't lead to anything creepier. Right. Yeah. It leads yeah. to, I guess that's the difference again with Hill House is if this had been in Hill House, this would have led to some really scary, creepy resolution that maybe would have then had a happy ending. But here it's like this weirdly, the flashback and the origin of the ghost is kind of the peak. Like it leads to a really, I think, powerful, um, sexual or romantic awakening from like a dramatic point of view because the ghost not appearing again I think is because Danny is accepting who she is and who she loves but uh, it's just different so I guess it kind of depends on what you're interested in it's a different type of resolution there is nothing scary that comes afterwards from this ghost yeah they almost didn't need the ghost I mean her, her boyfriend dying the way he did it established her reason for leaving America mm-hmm. but the, taking the ghost to London with her and then it just disappearing an episode or two in was kind of pointless. And yeah, no, that's a good point, Keith, because ultimately um, Edmund's ghost never leads anywhere. So you don't really need any of Danny's backstory. Like Danny could have literally just been a girl traveling the world who gets a job here, you know, like yeah. Edmund's ghost yeah. doesn't read. It doesn't lead to any interactions with other really and really any other characters except Jamie, which ultimately it just makes their relationship harder to get started. But nothing, nothing bad or scary happens from it. Um, so there's not really any reason to have Edmund's ghost in this season. I don't feel like I appreciated getting to know Danny a little bit better. I like that it doesn't form the rest of the season in terms of the relationship. But yeah, I guess to play devil's advocate to that to that same point, you guys are right. If they had cut it out, she was just an American traveling abroad looking for a job. Maybe she was conflicted about her sexuality and then ends up with Jamie and accepts that. It would have been the same thing. You're right. And we probably could have cut out two episodes. Um, so I'm kind of conflicted on that because I did like getting to learn where she came from. But yeah, at the same time, it doesn't, it doesn't lead enough like anywhere where I was super excited to have this information, I guess, if that makes sense. So this flashback ultimately though, does lead to one of my favorite sequences in the show, which is um, Danny and the rest of the gang kind of have a bonfire early on in the night. The crew um, ends up leaving and Danny ends up wandering Bly Manor alone, looking for some more alcohol. And then Flora wakes up, realizes her faceless doll is not where it should be. So she knows the Lady of the Lake is in the manor, and then the kids have to run downstairs, find Danny, and try and distract her as the Lady of the Lake walks through the house. I thought this was such a well-executed scene, and I really, really enjoyed it, and it was ultimately the, kind of the high point of the show for me. Yeah, I thought it was cool, too, because I guess I could be wrong, but I suppose, especially after they shove her in a closet, this kind of gives the... um whatever you want to call it, this gives the confirmation that even though they seem creepy at times and we understand why later because half the time they aren't themselves, but um, it does kind of show visually and in a cool way, like you mentioned, choreography-wise, that they are ultimately trying to protect the people in Bly Manor. Um, Yeah, and we kind of understand why later they need to specifically distract her because this ghost, if you are anywhere in the path of this ghost, you're just screwed. So uh, <laughs> yeah. this, this was this was a cool way to show that off, I thought. And her walking in the background is honestly pretty creepy. Like, it, yeah. this is one of the creepiest scenes in the season, ultimately. Um, I just kind of wish there were more. Yeah. Yeah. And she was also in that other scene. I'm trying to remember. It was in the uh, the area of the or the wing that was off limits. Mm-hmm. And she was, like, humming really creepily. That was her, right? No, that's her sister. Oh, that was oh yeah, that's right. That was that's her part sister. of because that, that's when that's when they're playing hide and seek, and Flora sh- Flora shushes her. Which honestly, that's a cool oh, scene too, because yeah. it just shows it just shows Flora does not give a fuck about these ghosts when she just tells it to shut up. <laughs> I thought yeah. that was awesome. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. That was cool. Um, I think we also at this point have seen her come out of the water, or at least pop her head out. So it's like, okay, I guess she has something to do with the lake. And then that, of course, also gets kind of those gaps get filled in later as well. The lake is extremely important part. Okay, so then we also do learn about Hannah Gross's kind of background and why she always appears to be out of things. Um, 
we have an episode where she is wandering through time but keeps coming back to the moment where she first meets Owen. And we eventually learn that a possessed Miles shoved Hannah down a well. And Hannah has essentially been dream hopping like Flora and Miles throughout this series. And she's actually been a ghost. Yeah, yeah. I had I had my suspicions with her from the get-go, I think. Just the so way she I. was acting. When they went... Um, and which we we find out in the later episode at the well, whenever Danny first arrives, of why she was kind of out of it there. We find out why later on. Yeah, it just felt a bit too obvious for me. I did like this episode, though. This this episode also felt like um, Hill House, the bent neck lady episode where we're jumping around in time with um, Nell, also played by Victoria Pedretti. But yeah, this was a, I, I like this episode. I didn't like the premise of it because the fact that Hannah Gross is dead and a ghost is a bit obvious when at this point we already know there's a bunch of ghosts around. So it's like, I bet another one is a ghost. That being said, I still really enjoyed it and I liked figuring it out. And I liked this. I mean, this was the first episode and we'll get to seven, but this was the first episode that really was a lot about the dream hopping. And it did lead to some cool moments. I think we did get to understand her more. And I liked initially coming back to the Owen scene and seeing how it changed. Cause like the first time it felt like an actual memory, but then as it went on, it was like, Oh, this is like a coping mechanism. This is a dream. She comes back to because it's a happy one and she can talk to Owen and then it starts changing. He starts almost breaking the fourth wall and talking to her as if it's not a memory. And so it looked at some interesting moments. I just, I guess for me, the culmination of it, of, you know, miles pushing her down the well is just, it's kind of a, yeah, that, your reaction is kind of like, mm-hmm, that's what I thought, or basically that kind of thing. It, it doesn't have that much weight to me. They almost make it too easy for you to figure this out in the beginning. Cause she is always out of it. She's never eating. That's um, the problem. Yeah, yeah. They just, I think it probably would have been a bit better if like the first few episodes, they just don't make her so clearly something's up. And then the second you introduce ghosts, it's like, I'm assuming she's one as well. So that I agree. I think that's kind of the issue. They just made her a bit too otherworldly in a sense. So eventually Hannah as a ghost um, does kind of wander in on Peter and Rebecca making plans to go to America um, throughout this series. Peter has been kind of stealing things from the Bly Manor estate um, this leads to Peter uh, walking through the mansion at night when he runs into Flora and Miles, who are out and about because the Lady of the Lake is out. Flo- uh, Peter tries to get the kids to go back to bed when he's interrupted by the Lady of the Lake grabbing him and dragging him off and killing him. This is awesome. I love this scene. This is another great example of choreography. I like how the second she grabs him and just pulls him off screen, like the second he is pulled off screen, he runs out again. And he's like, and he like the same scene happens again. And the kids are like, what? And then at some point he then realizes he's dead. I thought it was, it was handled so well. It was really cool. And I do like where this leads. I like the weird kind of in between phase of the story where some people know that Peter Quint is dead, but Rebecca doesn't. So then he starts popping up all over the place. And it's like, he has to try and explain to people that he's dead. And it's like, like you can't leave Bly. And they start to introduce the rules of if you die at Bly, you know, you can't leave. So I like, I liked her this lead and I, I think his death scene was shot really well. Yeah. It was definitely creepy. Just like snapping his neck and then. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and, and the dragging too. The dragging yeah. is so effective. Yeah. Because you have to sit with it. You have to sit and watch it happen. You can't really look away. Yeah. Mm. And I also like how we do uh, briefly see Peter uh, possess Miles for a second. And that's kind of the first time we see Miles really switch to that his like evil side. Um, and then we kind of do learn right away, oh, Peter has been possessing Miles. Um, did you guys figure out before this? For me, I was watching this with my wife. And for some reason, in the second episode, she just goes, oh, Peter's possessing Miles. And I was, at the time, I was like, no, he's not. And then as soon as we got to this scene, I was like, how did you figure that out so quickly? Because it took me a while to figure it out. Yeah, I kind of had a feeling because Miles was uh, starting to smoke cigarettes like Peter and he was flirting with people. Yeah, that was kind of the... And I was like, okay, see. something's kind of going on. <laughs> That's kind of yeah. when I first got the the first hint of it. Yeah. I guess we'll get to more as it comes up. But this is the last major reveal from the source material that I was waiting for. The fact that... Not only Peter Quint is dead and he's a ghost roaming the grounds, but he is kind of coming in and out of Miles' body. That was the one of the last big things I was waiting for from reading the book. But I do like how it happens. It just kind of out of nowhere happens. And then he realizes, oh, I guess I can do this. And then obviously his realization leads to a lot of big moments to come, kind of the way the possession works and all that. So we do have another flashback where we learn 
that um, Henry, the kid's uncle, uh, had been having an affair with Charlotte, the child's mother's. Um, This leads to uh, Charlotte's husband kind of banishing uh, Henry from the kid's life and from the Bly Manor grounds, which is why he has not been coming to see the kids or interacting with them since their parents' death. There's also a weird element where there's been weird phone calls to the manor, and we find out that it's Henry calling, and the reason he keeps hanging up is because Flora isn't the one answering, I believe. It's like he's waiting for Flora to answer. And then it just yeah, because Flora is his daughter. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's also one of I actually think, and it's because I think Henry Thomas is such a good actor, despite the accent. I think um, the element of his brother banishing him and basically telling him that he'll have to live with his own guilt and torment. This leads to some scenes where Henry Thomas is um, basically he has a doppelganger. Essentially, he has an evil doppelganger that is terrifying. This. This smile was haunting. (laughs) Like, wow. I I was freaked out. And I liked these scenes. I liked – because it was – again, it was one of those weird things where we spend so much time with the flashbacks. Like, the present-day Henry storyline got a bit lost. Because, like, we see him in the flashbacks with Peter Quince and everyone, but – like the only modern day thing was him at the very beginning hiring Danny. So this was um like one of the first times we come back to him episodes later. And I liked seeing this. I liked these scenes he has. I liked how they portrayed his guilt and stuff like that. So this was pretty cool. As for the whole affair storyline and the fact that Flora's his daughter, I mean, you know, a fine twist. It wasn't, you know, the craziest thing in the world. I, th- I thought it was fine. I like the scenes with kind of Henry's alter ego. Uh, I do think that smile is very creepy. However, ultimately, I think the fact that Henry can just like sit and drink with his demon makes it less scary in a way because Henry isn't really scared of this, um, mm-hmm. which ultimately doesn't make me as a as a viewer scared either. Well, yeah, no, I agree with you. But there was that first when he first meets his uh, alter ego, he's like scared shitless. Because remember, do you remember that scene where he's like mm-hmm. he just screams, he's on the floor, and he's like looking yeah. at looking at him, he's like, oh yeah. shit. And then, uh, yeah, but yeah, he does become... I think it's because that was supposed to be a flashback to long previously, which was a bit odd. And then, yeah, but yeah, like you said, Austin, he becomes pretty familiar with him and just starts drinking whiskey with him on the daily. So. Yeah, and, and it does it does have a weird culmination. It, it is a bit like the whole Danny and her ghost, her, um, her, her ex-fiance's ghost, where basically Danny just like turns... A- turns a switch and it's like, I'm good. And then that ghost is gone. It's kind of the same thing here where once Henry goes, okay, I'm going to Bly. We just, the whole ghost is gone. It's also, again, another example of the way the flashbacks are structured where I think it's like episode five or six, Henry's like drunk and he's like, I'm going to Bly. And then his <laughs> doppelganger is like, you can't, that's crazy. You're drunk. And he's like, it doesn't matter. And then three episodes later, he's just absent. And then he comes back in the finale and it's like, okay, I guess he drunk drove hours to get here. <laughs> so yeah. it was just kind of weird. It was weirdly paced where I, whenever he started showing up later on, I was like, I forgot he was even a character. <laughs> okay. So now we do kind of have Peter starting to figure out the rules of being a ghost. And yeah. Matt, I know you've been chomping at a bit to get to episode seven. So why don't you kind of give me your thoughts on this whole sequence of Peter kind of keeps coming back to a scene with his mother um, and then throughout this, he's also learning how to possess people and, and what the rules entails and kind of how the dynamics of being a ghost on the grounds of Bly Manor works. I kind of hate the whole mechanics of the ghost. I think it's one of those things, look, I'm not a professional writer by any means, but I guess just as like a casual viewer, it seems like pick a lane, man. Like this whole tucked in aspect, this whole temporary possession, the permanent thing, you got to pick something because this is too much. Like you can temporarily possess someone's body and when you do that you send them dream hopping to their past but then in the present day you're still in charge of their body doing their own it's just too much that being said i do like actually the peter backstory i was surprised because i this character is obviously pretty despicable and as he even i think i mean his biggest crime i guess was he tried to steal shit from Bly. so it's like not the worst of people certainly worst people out there but as he stays longer as a ghost he becomes more and more evil and like scary intentions but i actually really thought this was a really great example of just using a quick scene to humanize somebody basically the reveal is his mother visits him after not seeing him for a long time and she kind of in order to 
help her out since she's down on her luck and she basically she basically guilts her own son since he has a you know a big job he works for a rich person with a big with a huge manor you should go there and steal some shit so you can kind of get me on my feet and obviously that's what directly leads to his death so then after he's dead coming back to this scene it kind of informs why he didn't want to see his mother this is like his hell loop in a sense he just keeps reliving the scene and it's basically him being forced to relive the moment where he kind of made the choice to die in a weird way. And the fact that his mother's the one kind of keeping guard over this, I thought was really effective. This was one of the few scenes that we revisit constantly that I actually kind of liked. And I liked how it changed each time and got more sinister to the point where he basically says, this is my hell. And his mom's like, well, where else would you be? I thought this was really cool. I liked, I liked the backstory and it did make me, even though in the present, he's still kind of an evil guy. I did like that I could feel sorry for this guy that died by trying to steal some jewels to get his mom set up and it led to him dying. So I, I kind of like this stuff. I also like how he says all these other people get these pleasant memories to go get tucked into and I get stuck in this one with you. Yeah. So what did you guys think though? Because I guess I, I buried the lead a little bit there getting off track, but the main thing we've got to talk about with episode seven is Peter figuring out the mechanics of it being a ghost and then, what, I mean, what do you guys think of the whole tucked in and then the possession and then the dream hopping? We're introduced to three major things here. And, like, they're all kind of tied together sometimes, sometimes not. It, it was a lot. Yeah, so P- Peter does learn the rules of possession, which basically is you can temporarily possess somebody, which will kind of send them back into a pleasant memory or just a memory in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can only do it for a limited amount of time. Or if you get the host to... Uh, if you get the host to directly invite you in, then you can permanently stay in their body and have control. I think the fact that the kids ultimately get sent to pleasant memories when they get possessed takes away from the scarier element of a possession story. Okay, yeah. So I agree with that aspect, but I guess I will give them a little bit of props because in the same episode, they do show the scary side of it, which is he basically gaslights his girlfriend so like so much so that she agrees to invite him in he sends her to pleasant memories where they were both alive and got to spend these times together and then this fucker in present day while he's in charge of her body drowns her in the lake so yeah, it, it, did, it did have some elements where there was obviously scary moments to it and whenever she wakes up in the memory and she's like in a room that's being filled with water because her body's drowning in real life and then in, in real life, we see her body under the lake and we see skeletons down there. We see Peter's body that's just all decrepit and like bloated now. We see the trunk that we'll get to later. So I also like how you see in the photos that they're taking in the scene that Rebecca gets uh, sent back to. I like how you see their faces and the photos changing to become more and more decrepit too. Yeah. 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 So there's elements that I liked. It's just, um, it's a lot to take in at once. These three kind of seemingly related abilities like the temporary possession the permanent the dream hopping the getting tucked in it's all tied together too much at once i feel like it would have been nice i guess they did introduce the dream hopping with hannah earlier but i guess at that point in the show we just chalked that up to i guess that's what ghosts can do but now at this point they they tie that into temporary possession and then permanent is different and yeah, it, it was just a bit too much for me. I thought at the beginning of that whole sequence that um, Flora and Miles were dead. I was like, are they dead? Since yeah. they can do that? But then I, mm-hmm. you know, eventually caught on like, oh, okay, they're being possessed and exactly. they're being sent or they're being tucked away into yes. a perfectly splendid world. And then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they just they come back when they're not possessed. And I also do kind of like the dynamic of every time Flora gets tucked away, it's Rebecca trying to protect her from seeing something unpleasant. I think that is pretty cool and, and really does tie into just Rebecca being just kind of a genuinely good person for these kids. Yeah, and I in that same vein, I like that Rebecca never forgives um, Peter. Once he kills her, she kind of plays it up a bit. She kind of goes along with it. Um, and then once he introduces this plan to permanently possess Miles and Flora, she again goes along with it. Ultimately, her plan is to not do that so Flora has a chance. So I, I like that a lot. And I like that. Cool. that uh, yeah. I like that there's no weird thing where like, just because we're ghosts and we're forced to spend time together, I'm not going to forgive you for murdering me. So <laughs> I, I like that aspect of it for sure. Because I feel like most shows would not do that. So Danny does eventually see uh, Rebecca's ghost talking to Flora, which leads to Peter possessing Miles and knocking Danny out and tying her up. However, before we can get to the rest of that, 
we have another flashback and we learn the origins of the Lady of the Lake. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. I thought this story went on way too long. We're getting, it's, it's kind of the same thing I was talking about earlier. With this scene, we're getting to the climax of the show and then we cut away for an hour, for yeah. an hour to learn another flashback story. All you had to do was just show her sister kill her after she got tuberculosis, whatever she had. And that's it. That's all you had to do. But instead, they did this like big, long history And that gets lesson. even more confusing. Yes. Yeah. Since she's the original haunting of Bly Manor, if you want to call it that, it's like her... Like, they just spent an hour showing us how Peter Quince and Rebecca Jessel operate as ghosts. And then you spend another hour introducing the original ghost, who has a completely different power set. And her, her thing of being a ghost is completely different, where... She dies, and then she ends up inside the chest with all the inheritance, and then she's in a bedroom and keeps waking up, not knowing where she is, forgetting everything, falling back to sleep, and then once she does kill her sister and get out, the same weird logic applies to her under the lake, and over time she just loses her soul. I was like, why Why are they introducing different elements I think <laughs> the ghost? So I, I think her... I think the main point of the story is her ghost is different just because of Viola's will and how I she guess. just wasn't willing to give up Bly Manor. Yeah. Um, so we are we are introduced to Perdita and Viola who live in the 17th century. Um, Viola will ultimately um, become the Lady of the Lake. She marries a man named Arthur and they have a baby named Isabella. Uh, Perdita becomes jealous of Arthur and Viola's relationship. Viola gets sick. Um, with black lung and kind of ends up living quarantined away from the rest of her family. Perdita finally becomes sick of Viola and kills her, which then leads to Viola to haunt this chest that she had left behind for her daughter. Well, they introduced some stuff in the story that they could have used in a bigger way in the modern day. They How um, Viola, right, was killing the Lady of the Lake, was killing all these people. They could have had these people as creepy ghosts throughout the entire time that would just pop up in a scary way. But they didn't, you didn't see these people at all. Remember, they were all souls trapped in the blind yeah. manner. And then so, they were all released at the end. But you never really saw any of them. Yeah. As Austin mentioned in the beginning, they do do the Hill House thing where all of these ghosts are placed in like background shots at times, like under shadow and stuff. So I guess technically they are there. But I also agree with Keith. It's like they have this big moment in the finale episode where like the curse is broken. So they're all left to leave or whatever. And it shows like the plague doctor and the vicar. And it's like... I mean, I, I realized they were in the background of shots sometimes, but I don't, I haven't seen them since the weird, be- like the, the backstory episode. So yeah, it was a bit odd, kind of a weird choice. I feel like they could have been used in maybe a more interesting, kind of creepy, atmospheric way. And I agree. I don't, I don't feel like they did. Um, once Arthur finds Perdita's body, he becomes more and more suspicious of the chest. Um, and he, him and Isabella eventually end up leaving the property and he tosses the chest in the lake which then leads to Viola to wander the grounds throughout the years as a ghost. And anybody that eventually gets in her path, uh, she ends up killing. And ultimately, everybody becomes forgotten, which causes their faces and their features to fade into just kind of a blurry mess. Yeah, look, I I liked a lot of this stuff. Obviously, it was great to see Kate Siegel, I think is the actress's name, who again played one of the siblings in Haunting of Hill House. And she was great. I thought she was really good. And I liked seeing her. I knew she had been cast. I was like, when is she going to pop up? And, um, yeah, I I think I saw somebody on Reddit kind of say it, how I was feeling, which is episode seven ends with Danny getting grabbed by the lady of the lake. Episode eight starts and it kind of shows us that again. And then it goes into this flashback and it's like, oh, this is kind of cool. I like understanding the history of Bly and maybe how it originally became haunted. Like, this will be a cool 10 minutes. And then somebody on Reddit was like, oh yeah, this will be a cool 15 minutes. Oh, this is, this is a pretty cool 30 minutes. And then you get to the end of the hour and you're like, oh, Jesus, <laughs> Like I didn't expect that. And then the episode ends again, catching up to real time and her choking out Danny. And then episode nine, this is all wrapped up in 10 minutes. And then we spend another 50 kind of with the aftermath and the epilogue. So it, it was just a weird buildup, basically from seven to an hour long flashback and then just kind of like a 10 minute resolution to this plot. And then basically a 50 minute epilogue. It just seemed so oddly paced at the last minute. Um, so let's kind of get into the conclusion. Peter and Rebecca try to enact their plan of haunting uh, Miles and Flora and kind of taking full control of their bodies. However, Rebecca does not end up following through. Uh, this leads to Danny and Flora kind of trying to flee the property, which results 
and Danny being grabbed by the Lady of the Lake. I said, about damn time y'all try to leave this place. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) you wait about nine hours to do so? (laughs) You would have left this at the very beginning. Yeah, I really love this scene. I just kind of hate that in the scene where Danny is grabbed by the Lady of the Lake, that then does cut away to the flashback of learning about Viola, and then we we have an hour later where we come back into Danny being snatched. Maybe didn't need... Place, maybe place that episode elsewhere, I don't know, or just maybe consolidated a bit. I think that would have been my only change. Um, okay, so Flora does eventually get in the path of Viola, um, trying to stop her and save Danny. Uh, Flora reminds Viola of her daughter. Viola drops Danny and picks up Flora and tries to lay, wade into the lake with her. This leads to Danny sprinting into the lake, shouts out the it is me, it is you, it is us thing, which leads to a possession, and she invites Viola to possess herself. I didn't expect that. I thought that was an interesting way to go about it. I didn't know what it would lead to. And I think ultimately it was pretty interesting. So I like that this is the way they sort of break the curse is that the original ghost is actually being voluntary invited in, essentially. So I th- yeah, I thought it was kind of an interesting resolution. I was just so shocked that it they only spent like 10 minutes of the final episode kind of doing this. And kind of like what I mentioned earlier, it was like, Hannah's built up so much over the season. We find out not too far in that she's been dead. So what's her role going to be? And ultimately, not really anything. She, um, I, I don't even. Re- did, what did she do at the end? I, I don't really remember. In her mind, she gets Owen to warn her, saying, "You got to help us." And then That's she right. runs outside, telling Owen and Jamie, "Hey, Flora and Danny are in trouble." That's right. Yeah, yeah. And then at the same time, Henry shows up from a few episodes previously. He's made it to Bly Manor. And then he sees Flora being taken away. He momentarily dies, but Owen revives him. And so kind of in that time, Hannah's ghost tells Henry's ghost to tell Owen that she loved him. And then all that goes down. And this kind of leads to him accepting his role and taking the kids in as his own. And like you mentioned, Viola possesses um, Danny's body. But kind of at first, it it seems like what's going to happen. And then Nothing yeah. for a while. Jamie and her at this point have been talking about or building up their relationship and Danny doesn't want to go about it because she thinks that at any point she could die. But they ultimately decide, you know what, let's just make use of the time we have. So they start a relationship. Owen leaves Blind Manor to pursue his dream. So it's a lot. I was just so surprised that, like I mentioned a bunch of times now, that it is wrapped up so quickly um, and then it kind of leaves us leaves us with a, I suppose, longer epilogue than maybe we expected. Yeah, I I do kind of like this, though, that we do – you never really see this really in horror movies where you see, like, life after the haunting, I guess. Um, So I thought this was kind of cool. We do see, like, Danny is able to keep Viola at bay for many years. Her and Jamie are able to build a life together. However, there is kind of this underlying knowledge that at some point Viola is going to gain control of Danny. Um, One night that does happen where – Briefly, Danny tries to choke Jamie in her sleep, which then leads to Danny returning to Bly Manor and drowning herself in the lake. Jamie is like distraught by this and then returns to Bly Manor as well, sprints into the lake, tries to get Danny to take her too, but Danny won't let Viola do it. And then the narrator says, and to this day, nobody else has been claimed by the Lady of the Lake. And that kind of brings us back to the uh, the end of the story that we were, you know, they started in the first episode. So kind of like a double epilogue where they kind of finish off that part of the story as well. So yeah, what did you guys, what did you guys think of all the stuff leading up to it? I, I agree with Austin, I think. I think ultimately, while it was much longer than I expected and the actual wrap up at Bly was a lot shorter, I kind of liked it. I, li- I, I agree with you. I like seeing the aftermath a little bit. I like seeing them build this life together. I liked flashing a bit forward and seeing what Owen was up to and he's found success in France. And I liked, there was kind of a weird scene where he talks about how he's been you know, he's, he, I guess he meets occasionally with Henry and the kids. And there's this kind of weird thing where, um, Miles and Flora don't remember Bly Manor. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. But then weirdly, they have a throwaway line where he's like, well, actually, they do remember it, but only the positive stuff. So I was like, what? Okay. So they do remember that they grew up there. And then weirdly at the end, we meet a grown up Flora who doesn't, Apparently, the name Blind Manor means nothing to her, so it was just kind of a weird line that I thought was interesting. Um, but it's nice that everybody essentially, except Danny, unfortunately, does have a happy ending. I guess Jamie doesn't, but it seems that she's making it work as much as she can. But I was surprised that as many people <laughs> that survived did, so I guess that was kind of cool. Yeah, probably one of my favorite parts was the Owen uh, restaurant part, talking about Flora and Miles and how, yeah, how they didn't 
really remember any of it. All he said, like the only thing to remember is that it was their family's summer home, but that's about it. So like, okay, mm-hmm. so obviously, I guess the possessions and the ghost took a toll on their memory. <laughs> I guess remember yeah. anything like that, but I thought it was kind of cool that they had the, they got the happy ending. Yeah, and and that Jamie and Danny did get somewhat have a happy ending, but it was realistic in the way that Danny knew that eventually Viola was going to take over. I really like Jamie's closing shots where you see her, even in her hotel, she still is filling up all the sinks in her in her room. She's filling up the bathtub with water, just hoping for a chance to maybe see Danny in the water. And then she also sits by the door at night and leaves the door open, hoping maybe, maybe even though it's never happened, that she'll just get a chance to have Danny come in and see her. Well, the, the thing we didn't see, though, is right at, in the post credit scene is a, a robber walks into her open hotel room and just drops her <laughs> blind and then murders her. Like, when she opened that door, I was like, oh, my God, that is my biggest fear, dude. You cannot leave a hotel room door open. <laughs> but that was terrifying. I thought that was pretty cool. Like I said, I was a bit confused why she has a line where she was like, at the beginning, I thought it was just coincidence, but my middle name's Flora. And my immediate reaction was, so every time Carly Gugino, or I guess older Jamie, said Bly Manor... Does she not know what that was? Because Owen, just a few scenes previously, was like, it's their summer home. It's like, what? <laughs> I was confused. Yeah. Jamie's character also does say, like that What that ran, one random girl goes, so if I go to London and try to go to Bly Manor, I'll, I'll see the lake. And then Jamie's character goes, you can go to London, but you won't find a manor under that name. So I think it's implied uh, that Jamie made up Bly Manor okay. for the story. That's true. That's true. Okay. That makes a bit more sense. But yeah. So I thought, I thought it was a cool ending. I, I didn't really catch on that it was an older Jamie until, you know, until we got to it for the most part. And then I kind of suspected that maybe it was Flora once we returned to that. And I was like, if that's Jamie, this is probably Flora. So I thought that was cool. I enjoyed the ending. And like you said, even though it was (laughs) for me personally, it was just silly to open your hotel room before going to bed. I did like the actual blocking of it. I like how she fills all the water up, like you said, just hoping that she can just see her face briefly. And then she kind of turns the chair facing towards the bathroom and the front door and then the final shot of course is her falling asleep and then we see clearly danny's hand on her shoulder so yeah yeah i I, you know say what you want i obviously we've talked about how this wasn't even remotely as scary as hill house um but you know it's still a good show and i think the emotional impact is there i just am still kind of grappling with this wasn't at all what i was expecting but I do know that it's it's well made and I thought it was good and I like how Mike Flanagan plays with horror and he basically I mean horror going as far back as anybody can remember has always been about taking scary elements that are just representations of real life fears and stuff like here it's sexual repression, sexual identity, PTSD, guilt, all of these real world elements are turned into ghosts and specters and kind of uh decisions made that you think are the best and maybe they're not and Danny trying to sacrifice herself to save everybody and then ultimately that guilt kind of catching up to her it's all that good stuff I think it's all good I just I guess I didn't care about these characters as much and I think the flashbacks got a bit too egregious and the way possession works I think got too complicated so ultimately I think Hill House is a cleaner experience with better characters but this one's worth watching for sure it's just like we said at the, at the get-go it's just you got to be ready for something a bit more dramatic and emotional and I would consider it a gothic romance as many people have now it's not as much of a horror story as Hill House was yeah I agree I think I think Flora I think older Flora says it best where she says this isn't a ghost story it's a love story um, as cheesy as the line is in the episode, I think that that does sum up this season very well. Um, yeah. there, certainly, it's it's not anywhere nearly near as scary as Haunting of Hill House was. However, I do think once you know the twist of Haunting of Hill House, it overall makes that entire first season less scary as well. Sure. But yeah, I, I think if you're... Like we've kind of already talked about it, it's un, undeniably a, a good story. It's well made. It's well acted. Um, I still really, really enjoyed this season. I did not by no means did I not like have a bad time watching the show. I think ultimately it doesn't live up on the scares, but I do think it is a very interesting and compelling story. And it is funny you mentioned the Hill House thing because the reveal of Hill House, I mean, if we're talking about how things are less scary and maybe kind of like Mike Flanagan's other work and certainly Bly Manor, once you get the twist, things are less scary. But I mean, the ultimate reveal of Hill House is that, you know, um, Hill House really isn't that scary of a place. It's just where ghosts can come to reside and people nearby once they die they can see family members there and it's like oh i guess this isn't as bad um so yeah kind of an interesting 
um, evolution into Blind Manor, how things aren't exactly what they appear to be, and maybe horror is just a guise for a mystery as opposed to something that's just truly scary. So, Not too much to add. I would just say, yeah, as far as scary goes, I was kind of disappointed in this one. <laughs> I mean, I was, I just felt like I was waiting a lot, like, oh, when's, what's this going to lead up to? What's this going to lead up to? And it was just this big, mm-hmm. slow development, and then it just really didn't lead to much. So that, I mean, on that, I was kind of like, man... I thought this was going to be kind of like Haunting a Hill House, but it was a good story, good acting, and overall a pretty interesting show. So I don't want to I don't want to bash it too much, but it was I, but I will be honest and say it wasn't my favorite out of the uh, Netflix original series and and definitely was will not be my favorite out of the two of Haunting of Hill House and Bly Manor. And you know what? Yeah, to that point, I think it might be cool like 10 years from now when we have maybe like hopefully, at least for me, we have like 5 or 6 different uh seasons in this haunting anthology and like you know if haunting of hill house is just really fucked up really scary character study and then blind manners a gothic love story like e- each one can be a little bit of a, a different take on horror and like maybe 10 years from now if we look back on it as a collective we might appreciate the variety it's just right now i, th- I think i kind of agree with what keith is saying it's just it's it's a bit of an odd comparison it's just they're so different that it's a bit jarring right now but i think over time we'll come to appreciate it more well, it's it's interesting you say that because I I want more from my clan again. I want to see what oh, he yeah, can do with too. more seasons. However, I I've online I've seen this season getting torn to shreds, so I'm kind of worried Netflix might be oh. pulling the plug on Mike Flanagan. I don't think they will. The critics seem to love it, and it's like number one or number two on like the Netflix top ten. I feel like that's all Netflix cares about. As long as people are still signing up, people are watching it. It's in the top ten for a long time, um, which it will be all month of October. As long as the critics I mean, the critics really do like it, I think they'll it's gonna be the conversation. We'll give you a season three. Maybe let's try let's try and refine some things in terms of plot and storytelling here and there, but I think we're at least in for one more season. As long as Mike Flynn wants so. to do another. I really if he hope wants so. to, we'll get one. I think that's I hope so that's too. I hope to. it doesn't sound like I'm bashing it a lot because I'm not, but but uh No, we're not. I don't think we are. It just doesn't it just wasn't what I, what I expected, but it's still a good show. Yeah. I think that's fine, though. It's totally fine to, for Tep to have not met your expectations. I don't think there's any reason for the amount of criticism I've seen online for this season, though. It's still a really interesting and good course, and well-told yeah. story, I think. Yeah, for the most part, I agree. Everyone listening... You know, you know what time it is. It's time for the Arnie's Podcast Awards. This is a segment where we give an award for something in this episode. It can be for anything. Keith, every now and then, knows the <laughs> rules. Let's see what you've got this week. Right. Start us off, Keith. My award will go to Miles for the creepiest little boy smile. <laughs> that, nice. that kid, I mean, I don't know the actor's name. Benjamin Ainsworth. Benjamin Ainsworth. You did a good job of playing Miles. You, he was creepy, and yeah, I'm going to give the cre- Creepy Smile Award to Benjamin Ainsworth. Wow. Good job. I'm happy for Miles, and I'm happy that I can give an award to his sister, Flora. I'm going to give the Best Craftwoman's Award to Flora for all those little dolls and talismans she made. They're all over the house. She clearly spent a lot of time and a lot of hard work on them, and we just got to give her props for all the time nice. she spent making those. That's fair. That's fair. I'm going to go a bit more mainstream with mine. I think this time... I have to go with my heart and my vote, and it's going to be for, I think the person that should win the next season of American Idol is Viola, the Lady of the Lake. I just really loved her vocal range whenever she sang that one song that sounded like this. I thought it was beautiful. I could hear Simon Cowell in the back of my head just giving her props. And I, I think I think we're in for a great next season of American Idol. I haven't watched in years, but I will be tuning I will be tuning in because of Viola appearing. It's gonna be great. It's funny you say that because you know what that song's called, right? Uh no, I don't. It's called Keith Baker's Moan at the Thought of a Lucasfilm Warehouse. Ew! <laughs> <laughs> oh, callback to our Rogue One episode, and, there, everyone. And to be to be fair, it is my new alarm clock. <laughs> what, Keith moaning? Yes, it is. <laughs> okay, wow. I didn't expect that. Interesting. That's beautiful. I like that. I like that. I like that. 
All right. Well, everybody, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you subscribe so you never miss any of our upcoming content. And if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, we really do appreciate that. Honestly, we really have been starting to see some pretty good growth with this show. Sharing us with a friend really does help us continue to grow and we can continue to bring more, bring you more content that way. Um, at The Arnie's is our social and thearnies.media is the website. We will be back on Tuesday for the continuation of our Star Wars series with Episode 8, The Last Jedi. Like I said, like I teased last time, this is just as much a horror movie as like <laughs> other movies people watch on Halloween for some. So it's only <laughs> fitting that we're doing Last Jedi around Halloween. Um, yeah. So also, everybody, we've been doing a lot of TV reviews in addition to this Bly Manor discussion. So we just wrapped up Austin and I. We wrapped up the podcast within the podcast. The boys talking the boys. We just dropped the season two finale discussion. So head to the podcast feed. Check that out if you are interested in season two of The Boys. We broke down everything each episode. And yeah, going forward, like Austin said, we've got Last Jedi coming up. we got some spooky movie discussions after that. And later this month and into November and December, we'll be doing The Mandalorian season two. Hell yeah. Yeah, and feel free to check us out on Instagram at the Arnie's. Send us your thoughts on this episode, and also send us your comments on the upcoming episodes with our Star Wars and the boys. Alrighty, bye everybody. We'll see you next week. See ya. See ya.